Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Together for Equality podcast. Here we provide insights and share some ideas on how to build a more inclusive and equal society, be better professionals and build greater organizations. My name is Marina. I am currently in my second year of the International Business Management undergraduate program and today's topic is endometriosis, a common but often misunderstood condition that affects millions of people with uteruses worldwide. So before we dive into this topic, I would la- I'd like to ask our Before we dive into this topic, I would like to ask our anonymous guest to say hello. Hello Marina, it's a pleasure to be here and talk with you about this very personal and also according to me super important topic today. I'm very very glad to hear you here. So quickly as a tradition we have on this podcast, um, we answer a question that the previous guest asked and today we will be answering the question that Mama El Azizi raised, which is how many people do you know that have a hearing disability? So how many would it be for you? Hmm. I, uh, yeah, that's a quite unexpected question, but I believe um, right off the top of my head, uh, two people come to my mind. How about you? I, I can only really think of like one person and uh, he used to be in my high school but he moved in the meantime and I remember like I was in like eighth grade or something and he had like these bulky hearing aids and I thought they were like I don't know like really cool accessories he would like cover them with stickers or something so that was like really cool to see but what about your people like well I uh, the one that has yeah known me for the longest is my mom's best friend also my brother's godmother oh um, she's actually a teacher in a school for deaf children oh. and she is uh, yeah such a wonderful person and uh, yeah I, I just love her so much I don't even think yeah. about that that much it was hard like when she said hearing disability I was like oh yeah she has one <laughs> that's so cool that's so cool I went to a, a museum once in um, where was it it was in Germany I remember I can't remember which city exactly, maybe München, but I went to a museum and I learned like the alphabet and sign language. And I still know it to this day, I still know it. Oh, that's impressive. That's like about it. But yeah. <laughs> okay, so onto our topic today, endometriosis. For those who don't know, endometriosis is a chronic disorder in which tissue, similar to the lining of the uterus, grows outside of the uterus, often on the ovaries, fallopian tubes, and other pelvic organs. And this tissue can cause many different symptoms among which are inflammation, scarring, pain and it can also affect the person's fertility. Um, yeah, so the symptoms like they can vary a lot by like person from person, but common signs include pelvic pain, painful periods. This is important because people with uteruses, if you have a painful period, please get it checked out. It does not mean that it's normal. It could be normal, it could also not. So something to look out for, painful periods, also pain during sex, and difficulty getting pregnant. These symptoms can be mild or severe, and can sometimes be mistaken for other conditions, such as ovarian cysts or irritable bowel syndrome. So I have a question for you. In your experience, what were the symptoms you noticed first and that raised some like red flags, and what have been their impacts on your health? Okay, well now on to, uh, I think, a pretty long answer. Um, I've had symptoms for the past 15 years. So ever since I started my period, I'm now 25 years old. Uh, the symptoms started when I was exper- 
really bad periods, bad periods for somebody my age. I, they were really irregular, very painful. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went to the doctor, to the OBGYN, she just put me on birth control, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a very common <laughs> treatment. Uh, it happened to many other people. Um, so that kind of alleviated those symptoms. They weren't as regular, they weren't as heavy. Yeah. They were, in a sense, more manageable. Then, uh, a few years later, particularly when I started university, uh, I started having really bad stomach digestion issues. And just exactly like you mentioned, <laughs> I was misdiagnosed with IBS. Yeah. Uh, they did every test possible, every exam. But the problem is that the focus was more on these digestive issues. Uh, so the wrong doctor was looking at it. And nobody ever thought that it could be something else than like the stomach or, or the intestines. The moment where there was kind of a light bulb moment for me was when I started experiencing another symptom that you mentioned, which was uh, pain during sex. Mm -hmm. Um, No matter what you hear, this is not normal. (laughs) And (laughs) it started, I mean, maybe it was a missing piece of the puzzle for me, where I was like, okay, I had really bad periods, really, yeah, uh, they started becoming more manageable, but they started really becoming more unmanageable at that time. I had all those digestive issues, and I thought like, oh, maybe I could have endometriosis because I'd Mm -hmm. heard about the condition and I'd heard about the symptoms. So that was, yeah, the moment it Mm -hmm. came together for me. So then I went to my OBGYN and I was like, hey, look, I have all these symptoms. It was like almost textbook, like everything (laughs) that there is listed, I had. (laughs) What I just listed was, in fact, your symptoms. (laughs) And I was like... And the doctor said, no, you don't have endometriosis. And I thought, like, okay, well, she's when, the OBGYN. When around was this when you realized? Or, this like, when was, you started kind of your battle through diagnosis? This was the beginning of 2020. Okay. I had done a long battle before that, but just not with me and mine being, okay, yeah. I'm, like, uh, I was already, like, something feels like it's wrong. Yeah. Because I was having all these issues with food, with, like, lots of pain and all of this, but... Like, ever since in my head, I was like, okay, it could be endometriosis was the beginning of 2020. Okay. So the situation just kept getting worse from that. I had severe pain at all, almost all times of the month. I had pain peeing, lots of issue with food, nausea. I think some symptoms that are less known are also like pain in the legs because there is like lots of nerve mm. that go through the stomach area to the legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, pain in my stomach got so bad that I couldn't wear pants anymore. Because everything that just put remote, like, yeah. pressure on my stomach would, like, yeah. Uh, it was pain that, yeah, from one minute to the next can completely knock you off your feet. You can be standing at the supermarket, and then the next minute you're just like, okay, I can't <laughs> stand anymore. And at some point also, my mental health took a hit. I got lots of anxiety because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wasn't sure what can I plan, what can I do, because at any time these symptoms would come and knock yeah. me out. Yeah, it's also common, like indirect symptom depression and anxiety that Mm -hmm. a lot of people face when they find out they Mm -hmm. have this diagnosis or these symptoms like in their life Mm -hmm. there was also lots of yeah just like insecurity because um yeah you clearly feel that something is wrong with you or i clearly felt that something was wrong with me with my body it felt like my body was kind of giving out on me one piece at Mm -hmm. a time but every doctor that runs every blood test tells you, oh, yeah, you're perfectly healthy. <laughs> and that was every time the yeah. circle again and again and again. So then I went to my doctor again and asked for a referral to an endometriosis specialist. Because I was like, okay, I'm not even asking right now. <laughs> I want this referral. Mm-hmm. 
And then I uh, started, I think, the second leg of, of this odyssey because um, wait times for endometriosis specialists are excruciatingly long. And the pandemic, which, yeah, was exactly oh. at that time around, made them even longer. So for, I was living, yeah, in the city with uh, a large endometriosis specialist center and waiting times for a point over nine months. And I was just thinking, I it's can't... It's a whole baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't make it nine more months with that, with those symptoms. Like, I'm not yeah. going to make it through. I'm not going to be able to keep my job, keep my life No, of course, quality of life is completely, like, destroyed yes. at that point. So I ended up going to a hospital that had a really good reputation. It's still not a hospital, because my OBGYN recommended to me go to a, a hospital, but they had, like, no experience with endometriosis. And I've heard that those can make more damage than good if, mm-hmm. if you have, yeah, surgeons or doctors that are not sure mm-hmm. or that don't do this on the daily. So I went to a hospital that does this on the daily, but still not. Maybe the best of the best, mm-hmm. because I just couldn't wait that long. Um, yes. Then I think uh, the next bump in the road happened when I had surgery scheduled. I was finally like looking for, for a way out of this madness, a diagnosis, because I think something particular is that with endometriosis, some doctors, there are now changes in how the doctors handle it, but uh, it can only be 100% diagnosed through surgery. surgery so yeah. you only are available for the healthcare, the benefits, if you have had a surgery. And then my surgery got canceled because of, uh, yeah, the pandemic. So uh, that was a huge, I think, I was absolutely devastated when that happened. I, because I was like, I don't know how I can manage, like, more month with those symptoms. So yes, uh, later, at the beginning of this year, my surgery finally got scheduled. And yes, uh, the situation now is better than it was before. But in terms still, of symptoms or yeah in terms okay. of symptoms in terms of mani- manageability but there's still not one minute of every one day that i'm like without pain mm-hmm. that sounds horrifying to go through it's like a living nightmare almost and to be so like oblivious to what it could be like for so many years only in 2020 did you get a feeling of what it might be Yes, I think it's like crazy because ultimately all the organs are so close to each other in the stomach. Like we don't have a like part that is like gastrointestinal and a part that is gynecological. Yeah, and still nobody looks like behind like further than like their own like organs or their own issues to like make a connection between what can be wrong. And I think that's also why so many people like maybe have to diagnose themselves and I'm nowhere promoting diagnosing yourself like you shouldn't diagnose yourself with google yeah (laughs) so many patients have to diagnose themselves or have to like yeah give this assumption to be able to get diagnosed yeah no it sounds like a really tough matter when even the specialists can't help you Mm -hmm. and I think ultimately I mean this reflects in the numbers uh they're are, I think, uh, yeah, an average. It's gone down recently due to the increased awareness, but it would take eight to 10 years to get diagnosed with uh, yeah. with uh, endometriosis. And this is a long time to have symptoms yeah. and to experience pain. Yeah, when you're and going through it every single day. Like. Yeah, I think oftentimes it's actually only diagnosed when you're like, when you want to be pregnant and you can't be pregnant. Mm, because of Still. the infertility issues, yeah. Yeah, as if women's health is only valuable <laughs> when we can have yeah. babies. Yeah, <laughs> only then are we worth analyzing <laughs> carefully. Yeah. That's, that's really like 
amazing in the most horrible sense possible. <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, it's despite this being a very serious and common problem, there are also challenges that people face outside of just the personal life, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have endometriosis, you might you, you might face problems in the workplace like discrimination or or stigma or lack of accommodation, and these can help as well or not help, but I mean. These can deter a proper early diagnosis, like we've mentioned before, like can have severe impacts of its on it on its own. So, how do you think these symptoms and your diagnosis have affected your ability to work and participate in the business world? And do you feel like you've been affected by your diagnosis in a way? Oh, definitely. I think there hasn't been a part of my life that has not been affected. I mean, not by the diagnosis. Of- as is but by the symptoms and and everything that comes with it on a daily basis then also of course it has impacted particularly uh, when I was working a full-time job that was considered a high stress job mm-hmm. and in an environment that was still majority men mm-hmm. uh, thankfully during the COVID pandemic I was working mostly from home so that allowed me to have some certain flexibility with like food with clothes because it's so much underestimated like having to put on like really those like not very comfortable work clothes when you're uh in so much pain and then yeah it's also affected how I was able to work um like some days the pain was so bad that I could barely sit uh so I managed yeah I was able to work from the couch this is something that's probably not available if you're working from office but I, I think I, I can't, yeah, I lost count of the times what to make up some random excuse, like the Wi-Fi wasn't good enough or something, that I couldn't turn on my camera because I was just in so much pain that I couldn't sit <laughs> and I couldn't show that to my colleagues. Yeah. Um, also, just I think the meetings I've had to lead when I was in so much pain mm. or experienced so much nausea, <laughs> I and it's not say, like you can say, I, I need a break, because yeah. it just wouldn't be understood. I mean, it's. I think I experienced lots of understanding from from colleagues uh, when I said that I, I never yeah, let them know about my diagnosis, but I said that I was having health issues. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think maybe for me, it was also my own expectations that I really mm-hmm. wanted to perform, and I didn't want to like have this as my weakness. I see. So uh, I was like, okay, I can do it. But it was really, really hard uh, most days. And I think the hardest part was because I have a job that normally includes lots of traveling, which was then moved completely to working from home. But when I was having my first business trip... Um, after lockdowns and lockdowns um yeah i uh i mean to everybody who doesn't want to hear the story it's all good but <laughs> i uh i threw up twice on on the way and then the first thing i got i did when i got to the hotel is that i had to hand wash my dress because it got dirty so that's something that yeah you can picture yourself when when you have this and then still trying to perform in such a high yeah. high stress job um it affects think, yeah. like not only your physical state but your mental state as well yeah. so much i think yeah one part i think the part that mostly is i got really bad motion sickness especially when i'm having flares and when i'm not feeling well so yeah that was kind of the traveling part for those who don't know like a flare-up do you want to explain yeah it? sorry a flare-up is when your symptoms get worse mm-hmm. um sometimes they are preceded by an event or something that happens you maybe overexert yourself you have a really stressful time but sometimes they just 
literally come out of nowhere and hit you. <laughs> like a truck. And, yeah, like a truck, basically. <laughs> and it's... Um, Yeah, I think it's something that I feel like sometimes I, I tell myself having endometriosis is like playing a game where you don't know the rules. And if you break a rule accidentally, then you're being punished for it. <laughs> But nobody tells you what you should do. And it could also change, right? Yeah, like, just, yeah. <laughs> you think you finally... And the rules are changing. Yeah. <laughs> the most twisted game ever invented. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, unfortunately... Oh, sorry, I don't know if you had anything else to say. No, no, thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, I think it's okay. echoing a lot what you're saying from your research to what I experienced, which is good, <laughs> I think, for now, yeah. uh, that we have maybe more more awareness that is being strand. Definitely. And I mean, that's also the purpose with this episode overall. Mm -hmm. Like, main takeaway, please be aware that this is a serious thing. Mm -hmm. And also be aware that there is currently no cure for endometriosis, which, again, is quite baffling considering the amount of research that is being done worldwide and considering that this affects millions of people. Um, but anyways, there is no cure and there is also no exact cause for the condition mm -hmm. or it, it's still not fully understood at least. Um, there are some treatment available to... It's more for management of the symptoms um, and in some cases it can improve uh, a person's quality of life. But the treatment options, they're not very reliable because... This is such a highly personal condition in the sense that it can vary so much. Um, but you can try taking, for example, medication such as pain relievers and hormone therapy, uh, as well as maybe surgical procedures to remove the endometrial tissue and relieve symptoms. But it's very important, again, to say that these treatments are not always very effective and mm -hmm. they can have unwanted side effects. You probably have a better understanding of that personally than I do. Yes, and um, actually, yes, uh, we, I think we talked earlier about uh, the available treatment mm -hmm. options. And uh, they can include, yeah, hormonal birth control therapies and also pain relief therapy. And I think the one that is still, I think, the most uh, consistently successful is surgery, even though some people have as bad symptoms before as after surgery. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's very personal they're not always effective and they can have so many side effects i've heard of uh, the hormonal therapies of side effects that can impact your bone density so some people had to stop taking the medication because their bone density was so negatively affected by the medication taken mm -hmm. so basically it's the choice always of the lesser of the two evil are the like side effects worse than the symptoms that you currently experience or not yeah. And it's always, like, some kind of balancing it, which is actually ridiculous. I mean, and then, yeah, there's a surgery, but also there's two types of surgery. Um, there's the surgery where basically the endometrial tissue is only burnt away. It's called ablation surgery, and it's normally what is being conducted. And then there is a surgery that is called excision surgery, which is where the tissue is actually cut out of the body. And this is considered to be the most effective way and it's still not widely available i also only had ablation mm -hmm. surgery there are very few specialists who can actually perform the excision surgery mm -hmm. and it's normally not being taken over by health insurance but i think we mm. can talk about that later also yeah <laughs> that's another problem itself and i've also heard you mention that holistic treatments yes so like maybe they can have some effect to play in management exactly um i think One part that everybody agrees on is that some, let's say, non-medical 
terribly invasive like hormonal mm-hmm. treatments or pain medications or surgeries um, can include nutritional changes, dietary changes, as well as uh, physical therapy, pelvic floor therapy. And those treatments can be super effective and they're not going to mess up your system mm-hmm. like hormonal birth control or pain medicine does. Uh, the problem is that everybody can agree that those things are useful, but nobody agrees on how you should do them. There's so much contradictory uh, information, especially about nutrition. It's a topic that I read a lot into. Some people say you shouldn't eat soy, others say you should eat soy. Some people say you should go vegan, others say don't go vegan. And uh, it's just like Trial ridiculous <laughs> if you want to try to like help yourself yeah. in that situation. And there's just not enough research and not enough clear information on, like, what can do. Yeah. Yeah, because it's already hard enough to go through the whole scientific process of what fits me. Mm-hmm. Then when you also have to, like, adjust minute things, like, soy or not, vegan or not, this vegetable or not, it's so, it sounds so overwhelming. Like Yeah, I think I've told to my mom or to my dad, I was like, if, there, if somebody would tell me what to do so that I wouldn't have <laughs> as much symptoms, like... There was no, there's almost nothing that I wouldn't do. But just nobody tells you what's right. Yeah, because no one knows. Because unfortunately, this just hasn't been researched enough. That's the reality of it. I mean, if we got the vaccine for COVID in such a short time, how can we allow endometriosis to take over so many people's lives through so, so many years, decades, and we still can't fully help them? It's. I mean, there, isn't, there just isn't enough research, enough money yeah. for research. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read an article about uh, a woman who was leading an endometriosis center. And when she started the research at first, she was like, why would I research endometriosis? Like, so many people are dying of cancer. And I'm, like, now researching mm. a, a disease that is yeah, impacting women who have bad periods. Yeah. And then she, the more she found out about the topic, the more shocked she was at, like, how bad it would impact people's lives. And now she's one of the pioneering voices yeah, and one of I think the people that as as endometriosis patients can be more grateful of because she she's researching a lot, but she also said they had to basically start with basic research about the uterus because the organ itself there was no like real <laughs> research about it. Yeah, not surprising considering like for millennia men were the one who controlled the <laughs> the workplace and of course the healthcare space as well. Yeah, I think the only research started when women couldn't get pregnant that's the only yeah. time like people care that's the i'm quote unquote the only value we can bring to society of course how dare we have a life outside of children <laughs> but yeah that's that's also why it's so important for people to be aware of the signs and symptoms mm-hmm. of endometriosis you know to to just raise awareness about this gigantic topic and of course talk to their healthcare provider if they're experiencing any of these symptoms because mm-hmm. I know from your story, it hasn't been the easiest journey as well with insurance and everything. I don't know if you want to maybe comment a little on that as well. Yes, I think uh, ultimately I have lots of uh, bones to pick with the insurance <laughs> system around all of this. Um, but I think uh, one personal story was that, um, yeah, I finally got my surgery. I finally got my diagnosis and then the doctor who performed my surgery referred me to uh, something that is also fairly new, but it's an inpatient rehab um, for endometriosis patients Mm. where you basically um, learn how to deal with the condition on a um, 
yeah, a maybe non-medicated way. So first of all, you find out more about endometriosis. Second of all, uh, you learn about nutrition with endometriosis. You learn about physical therapy and exercise and all the things that should help you manage it more in in your daily life. Mm-hmm. Because as many people don't understand, you know, it's not a surgery and one and done. Mm-hmm. You have a surgery, but you still deal with that condition every minute and every day of your life. Yeah. Um, so yes, I uh, I got the referral. He wanted me to do it because he thought that I would be a patient. That yeah should do it <laughs> so that was a specialist doctor's opinion mm-hmm. and then the insurance denied the claim uh, the insurance denied the claim on the basis that I hadn't missed enough work due to my condition for them to warrant an inpatient rehabilitation so basically all the effort that I had put in over the past years like working when I was sick when I couldn't sit from the pain yeah just to be told oh actually you don't have enough sick days otherwise you would pay for your treatment yeah a giant slap in the face like i couldn't believe it i was yeah. like no it absolutely. sounds <laughs> it's this is like the fruit that keeps on giving and that keeps on rotting the more you find out about endometriosis the more you find out about people who suffer with it the more shocked you are at just how cruel everything seems to be for them like the entire system is against them people don't want you to find like happiness and just comfort in everyday life i mean sometimes i was like i think like nobody just wants to help me yeah and which um, is not true of course like it's just it's so scarce Mm -hmm. and it's so inaccessible that it feels that way yes and then i also like if we were just talking about insurance uh everything that every treatment that you receive now maybe outside of the inpatient rehabilitation about maybe nutrition or physical therapists, anything like that you have to pay out of pocket because insurance does not take it over. So I do believe that instead of paying for like crazy hormonal treatments and crazy pain relief or expensive surgeries, like those things can really help improve uh, quality of life of an endometriosis, of a person with endometriosis. And they should be covered by insurance. We need to like yeah. raise the awareness. We need to raise the research. Exactly. But we also need to fund those things so that women like I recently watched a documentary and so many people say like they maybe never be able to afford a house because they have this condition. That's shocking. And I think in Europe we might even be lucky with our health systems, but if you're in other countries, like for example the US, where you might even need to pay for surgery. Yeah. Then like this on top of all the consequences yeah. on your personal on your professional life it can even affect your your bank account significantly this condition yeah so we've had physical mental professional and now financial <laughs> it's insane but it, it's very true like what you were saying that early diagnosis and treatment like it's important to raise awareness because it can help prevent the condition from worsening and overall then later as well prevent having to go through such invasive and expensive treatments and just overall like being able to diagnose this early can do so much in terms of improving a person's overall health and well-being yes early diagnosis is actually incredibly crucial it can help you preserve fertility Mm -hmm. it can help you manage your symptoms better before they get to the point maybe where they're completely unmanageable it can give you access to the correct treatments and the correct resources early on and help mentally as well so you don't feel Mm -hmm. so forgotten or like invisible in the health system Mm -hmm. like you're actually heard and taken seriously 
Yes, uh, absolutely. And um, I have a, I have a question. Okay. Because <laughs> coming back a bit to like the the business part, do you believe that companies? Well, my question is not this one exactly, but I I believe that companies have a role to play in this early diagnosis, and it's also interesting to mention that it's in the company's best interest as well to accommodate for this disorder because beyond just caring for the individual, it can have a lot of potential financial and productivity consequences, like a person with endometriosis in the workplace, because you have to account for absenteeism, presenteeism, turnover, which can all be very costly. So with that in mind, here's my question. What are some best practices and strategies for supporting and accommodating for employees with <laughs> endometriosis in the workplace? Yes, I think endometriosis, there are studies, I don't have the exact numbers, but it's proven to be very costly for the society in general. I think um, the French president actually recently <laughs> said that endometriosis is not... Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's not a problem for women, it's a problem for society. And it's costly, most importantly, to the individuals, of course, affected by it and the people closest to them. I think something that uh, I spoke about recently with some friends is menstrual leave. I think uh, this can be a resource to, to people who, yeah, um, have not been diagnosed. Because ultimately, as much as I want people to get diagnosed the moment they get symptoms, it can take eight to ten years. So people are by then in the workforce. So menstrual leave can be something that helps women or, or people who have periods to at least not feel bad about taking some time that they need uh, during the month but however from personal experience what helped me the most was working from home originally mm -hmm. I hated working from home <laughs> I'm a bit extrovert <laughs> and then also the flexibility I mean of course you can't always move meetings around at your own preference but being able to do work maybe in the evening or on the weekend when I was having a really bad flare in the mm -hmm. moment helped me a lot um mm -hmm. so, so like I think overall more flexibility because yes. it's such an unpredictable diagnosis and disorder mm -hmm. like being able to have that ease of conscious that if anything happens in the moment it's okay and i can adjust things mm -hmm. around yes and i mean ultimately i believe that of course the world can revolve around me despite me having <laughs> endometriosis so i will always need to at some point maybe suck it up if we have an important meeting if there's a presentation or something but otherwise having the flexibility to organize myself mm -hmm. around it and also the possibility to work from home to be in a comfy pair of pants mm -hmm. <laughs> to be able to lay down on the couch in case i'm having a really bad flare-up to be able to yeah cook some healthy food if necessary not being on a business trip where yeah. only have restaurants available that has helped me tremendously I think there, um, it's really hard still to, for endometriosis to be recognized as a dis disability, which is uh, really sad and it's yeah another part of the health system that needs work yeah. on. Um, it's still a very fragmented system with really random decisions mm -hmm. uh, that are being made. That so, affects a person's life. Like. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and sometimes makes it, yeah, it makes you wonder, is it really worth it mm -hmm. to like request it in that moment or not? Um, But yeah, I think the biggest way company do is can do is like eliminate stigma for one, mm -hmm. and then also allow for some flexibility, whether it's in location and timing of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think overall, even if it's not exactly for this disorder, but because we're touching on one disorder mm -hmm. that yeah, affects of course. people, there are so many more. Mm -hmm. Having these policies, like general policies, like the 
avoid the stigma on health topics and more flexibility can benefit so many more people than, of course, the already millions of people who suffer with endometriosis. Yeah, I think ultimately, um, I don't think I was a worse worker than anybody else who didn't have a condition. I always got my job done. I always, I think this was echoed by my, um, by my superiors, supervisors. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just like, if I have endometriosis, then it doesn't mean I'm a bad worker. It just means mm-hmm. that sometimes, yeah, I'm in pain and I need to, like, shuffle things around. Of course, it just means you need a little more accommodation for your disorder mm-hmm. that you also didn't ask for. So <laughs> it's only fair <laughs> in that sense. But I wanted to thank you very much for all of these helpful <laughs> insights. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know if you wanted to say something else. No, no. Can you just uh, go yes. back to this? And then okay. uh, when you disorder, like, before Here. this can you stop and then ask something got thank it you. got it okay. of course of course <laughs> okay so i would like to thank you so very much for mm-hmm. all of these helpful insights that can also hopefully inspire more people with uteruses to seek help um not be ashamed of such a common disorder and to prevent this diagnosis from delaying mm-hmm. so much yes i think awareness and uh just talking about it and and having this Awareness, but also um, information available is absolutely crucial. I recently saw a documentary below the belt that talks about this topic of endometriosis and really details the way of how it affects people's life and also how bad healthcare is around Mm -hmm. it. And then also recently, the French president, who I recently (laughs) quoted, declared an endometriosis strategy nationally, Mm -hmm. which has three pillars. Um, For one, information of doctors, because doctors often do not even know about this condition. They need to be made aware of the symptoms so that they can accurately diagnose it. Secondly, it is about um, availability. Oftentimes people have to travel very far to get good treatment. And it's incredible how much damage bad treatment can do. And then the third pillar is research. We absolutely need more funding to research treatments, diagnosis, and also just the alternative methods that we mentioned earlier to be able to to make some progress in the treatment of the condition. And that is absolutely important for the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I from what it sounds, like those three pillars can really, they, they sum up basically mm-hmm. the conversation we've been having and what is necessary for this disorder to be taken seriously, like worldwide, mm-hmm. as it should have been many years ago already. <laughs> So before we say goodbye, mm-hmm. I would like to ask you to participate in a tradition once again. Uh, but this time, you will be posing a question that the next guest will have to answer. So what is your question? I think, well, this episode will be posted right around the holiday season. So in this spirit, <laughs> I will ask you, um, yeah, what are you grateful for? What a nice question. <laughs> I, I'm excited to hear the next guest's answers. Um, I oh. hope they fill the listeners' hearts. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm curious to hear. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on here. It was a pleasure, genuinely, and I could not have asked for a more informed guest. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for, for yeah, giving me the space to tell my story. Of course. Because ultimately, I think everybody has a story to tell, and we should tell those scream them out loud yeah to maybe have <laughs> it the megaphone <laughs> a glimmer of hope that this doesn't exactly happen to the next person yeah. yeah so thank you very much and feel free to for our listeners to reach out to us on social media accounts you can find us under equality in business on linkedin facebook and instagram looking forward to talking to you in two weeks <laughs>